Well, I hope we know that to be true just as we were singing. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. It's great to have our folks outside. I think we may be even able to uh, see them out there. Good to see you guys. It's nice to be included with them. Um, it's fun to have different venues. We can be inside, we can be outside, we can be online. Um, just lots of different ways to gather together. Hey, um, the week before last, Sutton and I were actually in Austin, Texas, and we were there for a gathering. There were pastors from Christ Together, which is a network that we're a part of, um, and they span from the East Coast all the way to Alaska. And it's the first time we've been able to gather in, in about a year and a half, you know, obviously because of the pandemic and all of those, the different uh, constraints we had. And it was just good to be together. I always enjoy these meetings. I find them very uplifting. And one of the purposes was to just share what we've been dealing with as, as pastors and as churches and and um, not only looking backwards, but looking to the future, too, and figuring this thing out. And it's interesting to hear the different stories of what churches and pastors have been facing. For instance, I'm in some parts of California, churches have not been able to gather at all. Not at all. Not even in small groups in people's houses. No gatherings whatsoever. So some folks are dealing with that. And then in Texas, um, churches were considered essential essential. And so they were encouraged to continue to gather together throughout the pandemic in safe ways. And so you have this, this wide disparity. But in our conversations, there were some things that we saw um, that we all held in common. And one thing that we recognize is that going forward, the church is going to have to be different. The church is going to have to be different because some things have changed forever. Um, there were some statistics that were shared with us. So the Barna Group, you guys familiar with Barna? They do a lot of surveys, and um, they, they have predicted that one-third of the people that were attending church prior to the pandemic will not be coming back to church at all. So a third of the people that used to come to church will not be coming back at all. Things are going to have to be a little different. Not only that, 80,000 churches are going to close. 80,000 churches are going to close as a result of the pandemic and really pretty much a sign of things that were already deteriorating in the past. And as we were talking among ourselves, um, we, we noticed, and, and statistics are bearing it out, thousands of pastors are leaving the ministry right now. Some are choosing to retire because a lot of them are baby boomers, and a lot of them just quit. They just quit altogether. Um, so really challenging times in the years to come. So I think we're going to have to start doing things different because the church cannot continue to just operate as we have for, for so long. I, I think for far too long, we, we've sort of viewed church as, um, you know, our, our call to invite somebody on a Sunday morning. And... Um, for them to come and, and really experience some really amazing child care, right? And some good coffee. And that, that it's our job to, to provide some comfortable seating where you can experience some uplifting music and a message. And for those of us who have been bold enough to invite somebody to come, and they actually showed up on a Sunday, we leave here going, I've done my part. I have done my part. I am a good Christian. Well, I think things are going to have to change going forward. It can't be just a Sunday-centric kind of event. Now, 
I think we're going to have to make some changes. I'm not saying that we're going to change our children's ministry. No, that's going to continue to be excellent. I'm not even saying we're going to get rid of coffee. We're not. I'm not saying that we're going to make wholesale changes to the music or the message or any of those things. What I'm saying is I think we have to rethink and refocus about our individual personal roles and responsibilities. How do we view church? How do we respond? What is our purpose? I think we have to start looking more individually instead of just corporately. I think there's going to be some changes that come. Here's, here's the challenge. I think we're going to have to stop being cultural Christians and start being biblical Christians. Stop being cultural Christians. So I think a cultural Christian is somebody that believes in God, says, you know, I believe in Jesus. And, and maybe even comes to church on Sunday. But that may be about it. I don't think it's enough to be a cultural Christian, but we need to be biblical Christians. What does that look like? Well, I want to delve into that this morning. And I just want to begin some conversation. I'm not going to give you all the answers, but what I'm hoping after this morning is we begin to think about these things maybe a little different. What does it mean to be a biblical Christian? We maybe begin to to talk among ourselves. What does it really mean to be a biblical Christian? And and I don't expect you all to agree with me, believe it or not. I I want you to push back, maybe to challenge me and some of the things that I'm going to share with you this morning. So that is fine. So um, I was so inspired by Rick last week that I decided I'm just going to preach the same passage. We're going to do the exact same passage as we did last week. And, and here's what I want us to see, that you can go to the same passage and you can pull different things out day to day, week to week. So we're going to be in John chapter 21. If you want to turn there, we're going to look at verses 15 through 19 together again. So John 21 begins this way. It says, when they had finished breakfast, so remember Jesus is having this encounter with some of the disciples on the shore of Galilee. This is after his resurrection. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now, I want to pause there for a moment and just remind you of what Rick shared with us last week. What's taking place here is really the restoration of Peter. Remember Peter uh, on the night of, of Jesus' betrayal? He denied knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times because he was afraid. He was afraid that he might have to suffer the same consequences as Jesus, which was ultimately torture by crucifixion until he died. And, and Peter distanced himself from Jesus. Remember that? And then when he had done it in the rooster crowed, he was overcome with remorse. He broke down and began to weep. 
And now this is an encounter where Jesus is restoring him. He's not only saying, I forgive you. He's saying, I restore you. You are one of my disciples. Now, around here, we've defined a disciple as somebody who lives, loves, and leads like Jesus. A disciple is someone who lives, loves, and leads like Jesus. Now, Rick also pointed out that part of being a disciple in this restoration process, Jesus was saying, okay, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed my lambs. So the lambs represent those new believers, those new followers of Jesus. And then he went a step further and he says, look, I want you to tend to and to feed my sheep. Those would be the older, more mature followers of Jesus. Now notice that he didn't say, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes. All right, here's what I want you to do, Peter. Go find someone or a group of people and have them feed you. That's what I want you to do. I want you to go find some people, maybe somebody that's more mature than you, and have them feed you. He didn't say that, did he? He said, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to find some other people, new followers, new believers, maybe some that have been around for a while, and I want you to feed them. The focus was on feeding others. That's what it meant to be a disciple. Now, I think this is where we have failed um, in the modern church in America where we have said all that is required is really to be cultural Christians and not biblical Christians. We've said that it's enough just to believe and to come and be comfortable, but that's not not the case. See, we, we become more focused on consuming than we have feeding. Think about it. We're focused on consuming instead of feeding. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard somebody say this, or, or maybe you've said this yourself, I'm just looking for a church where I will be fed. Have you ever heard that? I'm looking for a church where I will be fed. Anybody ever heard that said or said that maybe by yourself? A lot of us. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard somebody say this or heard yourself say this? I'm just looking for a church that will equip me to feed others. Anybody ever heard somebody say, I'm I'm just looking for a church that will equip me so that I can better feed others? Anybody heard that? I don't think so. Maybe occasionally, but our focus has all been about us. It's all about consuming. I'm looking for a place where I will be fed instead of a place that will equip me to feed others. I think we have been deceived, and we bought into this lie that it's okay just to be comfortable cultural Christians instead of biblical Christians. Remember um, that that's not the call. I've been convicted of this, and it's not really a new revelation, but I've just been convicted, especially over the past couple weeks, that I have failed really as a pastor and I think we have failed as a church because I'm afraid that I've made it kind of the norm to just come in and, and be comfortable and feel good, and that's enough. And so I've been convicted by that, and I think that's a good thing. I'm reminded, we, we often quote the Great Commission. You guys familiar with the Great Commission? Remember, this is some of Jesus' last words before 
he ascended into heaven, so he had already died. He'd risen from the grave. He's given this great commission. And what did he say? He said in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, everything I have commanded. And here's the great news. And surely I will be with you always to, to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. We've said it time and time again, but um, my conviction is we're not really living it. It seems pretty clear to me that that Jesus had in mind that his disciples would make disciples. If, If you're to be a disciple of Jesus, your job, your purpose individually is to make disciples. This did did you hear the Great Commission? It didn't say, hey, all of you pastors and priests, go and make disciples. It didn't say all the folks that are in full-time ministry on church staff, you guys are the ones that need to go and make disciples. It didn't even say you all that are super spiritual, you are the ones that get to go and make disciples. Who was to go and make disciples? If you don't remember, here's the context. There were men and women, much like us, sitting in the room when Jesus said this. These were men and women who had abandoned Jesus in his greatest time of need. Men and women who had denied even knowing Jesus. Men and women who had seen Jesus rise from the grave, interacted with him, and still had their doubts. Still had their doubts. These these are men and women who the most seasoned among them had been a follower of Jesus for three years. Just three years. That was the most mature follower of Jesus. And he says to you all, go and make disciples. Jesus was betting the future of the church on this group. Is that a group you would bet on? Probably not. Probably not. But let me ask you a question. Just, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Like, If you have been a Christian or a follower of Jesus for more than three years, just raise your hand. If you would say, I've been a Christian for more than three years. Okay, so many hands are raised here. You guys are more qualified than those early disciples. You have been following Jesus for longer than they have. Yet we're not really making disciples, are we? If we're honest, and it begins with me, we're not making disciples. Why is that? And here's the real question. If we aren't making disciples, then it begs the question, are we really disciples? If we aren't making disciples personally, are we really disciples? Or have we somehow been deceived to think all we have to do is believe, to be cultural Christians who are just comfortable? If we're not individually, personally making disciples, Are we really disciples? I'm telling you, that question has been sort of haunting me and convicting me. And and I'll be honest, I have not been doing that. I I don't have one or two guys that that I've been discipling personally. You know, in my role as a pastor, I get to stand up front and, and sort of disciple, you know, the masses, if you will. But I'm not really doing that individually, personally. Yeah, people will come to me and meet with me, and I can disciple them and teach them. But again, I'm, I, 
not doing that personally. And if I'm honest and I look at our elders and our ministry heads and our staff, not many people are discipling other folks. They're not helping them come to know Jesus. They're not helping them to grow in that relationship with Jesus. And so if we're not doing that as leaders, how can we expect everybody else to do it? So it's causing me to take a real hard look at myself first and then us as a church. And, and I say this not because like I'm beating myself up and woe is me and I'm having a pity party and I just am terrible. Some of that's true. You know, I am. Like, I'm just not doing a great job of that. But it doesn't get me down. What it does is it really challenges me to say, hey, I think it's time to rethink How am I spending my time? What am I focused on? And I hope that it's the time for you guys to do the same, to rethink, to refocus. What is my purpose? Am I truly a disciple? And if so, am I discipling others? That's the challenge. Now, it it brings us back because I I think following Jesus is meant to be costly. I never, never, have thought that Jesus invited people to follow him thinking it was just going to be comfortable for them. That is not what we see throughout history. It was anything but comfortable, and yet we've made it something that it was not meant to be. Look at verses 19 and 20, or 18 and 19, rather. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, and he's speaking to Peter, to show by what kind of death he was the glorified God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. So he's speaking to Peter, the one who distanced himself from Jesus, who who denied even knowing Jesus because he was fearful, right? He didn't want to suffer like Jesus was suffering and about to ultimately suffer. He didn't want to be crucified. And now Jesus is saying, guess what, Peter? You're going to die the same death that I died. You're going to die the same death that I died. Your biggest fear is going to come true. And by the way, you want to come follow me? You want to follow me? Like he's saying, to be a follower of mine is costly. It is costly. Now imagine that you are Peter... Jesus has just restored you. He's sort of commissioned you to to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep. And he says, this is how you're going to die, Peter. Now come. You want to follow me? Would you? If you knew that you were going to suffer incredibly and die because you were a follower of Jesus, would you still follow him? Would you still follow him? Would you be committed to making disciples, to risking your life for the sake of Jesus? Would you? I think that's the question before us because what Jesus was doing, he was inviting Peter to come and die. He's saying, Peter, I want you to come and die for me and for others. And I think the invitation is the same for us today. He's saying, come. Come and die. Not just die one day in the future for my sake, but come and die daily for the sake of others. You see, being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of his, is costly. 
It's costly. Um, Luke recorded Jesus saying this, and Jesus, you may recall, was explaining the cost of being a disciple. And he said this. Um, He said to, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus is costly. Let's think about some of the things it may cost us. It may cost us comfort. It may cost us money. It may cost us security. It may cost us our reputation. It may cost us our jobs. It may cost us friends, family, maybe even our very lives. It may cost us all those things. But you know one thing that it will definitely cost us? Our independence. It will cost us our independence. And I think, believe it or not, of all the other things, I think our independence is the one thing that keeps most of us from truly following Jesus and being biblical Christians instead of just cultural Christians. I think it's our independence. And and I'm going to try and paint a picture um, why that is. Some of our women, you saw the announcements earlier, have been gathering on, on Tuesday evenings here at the church for a Bible study. And Lindsay Belcher this past week was doing a study on what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Everybody familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Um, it's derived from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, you can go read it in, in Matthew 6. And they, he, he was instructing people how to pray. And it begins like this. This is the traditional Lord's Prayer. You guys remember, it says, Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? Right? So I asked, I knew this was coming up. So I asked Lindsay, I said, could you do me a favor? Because I need help for Sunday. Would you mind asking these ladies what that means? Like when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when we're asking for his kingdom to come, what do we mean? What are we praying for? And so she got some great feedback from the ladies, and, and I appreciate it. And I think the general consensus was when we pray that prayer, what we're asking is for Jesus to bring his kingdom here to earth, just like it is in heaven, that he would come and he would rule on earth like he does in heaven, that he would be our king, that it would be his rule and reign that we come under. And that has some different aspects to it. One could be a political aspect, right? That, that societies come under Jesus' rule and reign. That could be one aspect of it. Maybe that's what we're praying for. Another real aspect of it is that we're praying for him to come and rule and reign in our lives, where he would be the one who governs our hearts, our minds, our actions. See, it's a a prayer that says, Jesus, you are in charge. It's your authority that I come under. You are the ruler. You are the one who reigns. And and this is the crux of it. This is where I, I think we pray that. We probably all prayed that prayer, but I'm not sure we knew what we were praying. Or I'm not sure we really want what we've been praying for. 
Because if that prayer comes to pass, then that means Jesus is going to truly be the ruler of our lives. That means he's the one who dictates what is right and what is wrong. He's the one who determines what is approved of and what is not. He's the one. He's the one who is in control. And we are no longer independent, but we're dependent on him. Now, the idea of his kingdom coming and his will being done, um, I think to me and, and probably to most of us here and watching, is probably something we say we would like. We want that. Wouldn't it be great if we could get a taste of heaven right now? If we didn't have to wait till we die to go to heaven, but we could really begin to experience heaven on earth, wouldn't that be great? I think we'd be excited about that. But the reality is, is something completely different. See, um, this, is, this is the challenge. Are we really willing to submit ourselves to God, to Jesus? Do we really want him to be king over all the earth? I think he would make the best king ever because he is truly a benevolent king. He is a benevolent king. We've never been under a benevolent king or a benevolent president. You know, someone who is in that position and rules in such a way that it's not selfishly motivated, but rules in such a way that that the king has the best interests of all the people at heart at all times, that the decisions that the king makes are for our well-being. That's his one desire. That's his one desire is for us to receive the very best. We've never been under a benevolent king. That's the kind of king Jesus is and would be here on earth. But I don't know that we truly want that because we don't want to give up all control to him. I'm convinced that we don't want to live in a completely pure world. I'm convinced we don't want to live in a a completely pure or holy world. We, we want some sin. Uh, we want to engage in some of those sinful pleasures, don't we? Like, we like some of sin. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, you can look at your life. Like, you, do you really want to be completely pure? Probably not, if you're, if you're being honest. We like a little bit of sin. It sort of adds some flavor to life, we think. And so I think this is the challenge. What would it look like? for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It would look differently. Think about some of this. So um, it would look like giving, not taking. It would look like serving, not expecting to be served. It would look like being selfless instead of selfish. It would look like feeding instead of expecting to be fed. Do you notice that just with the hand motions? It's outward instead of inwardly focused. That is what I think it would look like for Jesus' kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about others. It's not about us and me being fed. It's about me being equipped to feed others. 
Do we really want that? Historically, we have not demonstrated that we do. So it it just begs the question. We look at at Jesus' interaction, again, coming full circle with Peter, and and he restores him, and he says, Peter, do do you love me? And if you do, then, you know, disciple, take care of, you know, my, my lambs and my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then I invite you to come and, and die. Do we really want his kingdom to, come, kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Do we want that? And secondly, the question is, um, can we really consider ourselves to be disciples if we're not making disciples? I think those are two important questions for us individually and then collectively to consider. So Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And I think he asked us the same thing. Do you love me? Do you love me? If you say, yes, Jesus, I love you, then the Great Commission our greatest commandment is to love God and to love others that we need to be making disciples, not expecting somebody else to do it, not just inviting somebody to church so that hopefully there'll be a good message, you know, and it'll change somebody's life because we know that doesn't happen very often around here, right? So like if you were dependent on me or somebody else, you're in trouble. So the call is for us individually to make disciples. That's the call. Now here's the challenge, right? It involves sheep, right? So we're considered sheep. If you're a follower of Jesus in the Bible, you're, you're referred to as a sheep. What do we know about sheep? Well, they tend to be stupid for one thing, but the, uh, beyond the stupid part, they tend to stray, don't they? You remember Isaiah laid this out? He said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have a tendency to stray. We have a tendency to just sort of turn our backs and, and go our own way, don't we? That's what sheep do. And now we're called to be like Peter and to tend sheep. That's not an easy job. It's going to be costly, but that's the call. And that's the beauty too. And here's, again, the good news. Again, with the Great Commission, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the earth. He said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. My Spirit is going to dwell within you if you are truly a follower of mine. So all we have to do is act in obedience. He's done the work already. He will give us the words that we need to help somebody come to know Jesus and to follow him. So it's really all about him. It's not all about us, but we just got to learn to rely on him. And then, I mean, Isaiah even said all, all of our sins, all of our iniquities, as he, he phrased it, were, were already put on Jesus. So he's paid the price for all of our sins and our, our shortcomings and things of that nature. So again, it's all about Jesus. And if we come to know that, why aren't we making disciples? Well, I think there's two primary reasons. One, again, wrapping it up. I think we bought into the notion that it's okay to just be a cultural Christian. All I have to do is believe and maybe show up a little little here and there. That's a lie. We were not called to be comfortable. Um, Second reason, I think we're not making disciples. and, And I think this is probably true for most of us sitting in here sitting outside and watching online. I think we're not making disciples because we're afraid. I think we're afraid to make disciples. 
because we feel inadequate and ill-equipped. I bet you, if we just polled the audience, I bet you most of us feel like I am not adequate to lead somebody to Jesus or to disciple them. I feel ill-equipped to do that. And that begins with me. Oftentimes I feel like I am so inadequate. I feel so ill-equipped. Well, we're going to change that. We're going to change that because my conviction is we're called to be a church that equips people to feed others, not just be a place where you can come and be fed. We've um, given tools and techniques out over the years um, to help with this. Um, For instance, you can begin with the Frank list. We have some cards back there. So Frank, friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers, just make a list of some folks that you'd like to see come closer to Jesus. Begin with that and start praying for them. Then secondly, look for opportunities to bless those people. That's a beginning point. Um, Other things that we've done, we've helped to... uh, equip you to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There, there are different illustrations out there, like the bridge illustration or the Romans road to salvation. Um, also, we, we've shared how easy it is to just pray this prayer of salvation. It's as easy as ABC. Somebody just needs to admit that they've turned their back on God. That's called sin. They need to be, believe that Jesus died for their sin. And then C, commit. Commit to following and living and loving and leading like him. That's the prayer of salvation. Um, We've showed you how to study the Bible or how to help disciple somebody else to study the Bible. Simply put, you can learn how to soap through a passage in the Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do it. So there are different tools and techniques that we have thrown out there along the way, but clearly we have not done a very good job of equipping you all. So here's what Sutton is going to do. Not me, but Sutton. So I've tasked Sutton with this. And so <clears throat> Sutton is going to um, put together something in a very clear, concise package so that we can give each and every one of you. So it will summarize, this is how I do it, and just lay it out so simply, all these different techniques. So we'll summarize it up on just a little card, and then we'll give you supplements as well, and then we're going to encourage you to practice it and it's going to go really well. Here's what I want to just get you focused on. Once we start doing this, it's going to be amazing. Like at first, like I can tell you're nervous, like because we all feel a little nervous and a little ill-equipped and inadequate. But once we get the hang of this and we actually start doing it, it's going to be amazing. And all of a sudden, you're going to see, you know, somebody that was far from God come close to God, and and then their life is transformed just like we were singing a little while ago, and and you're going to see that God used you to play a part of it, those are going to be the stories you're going to want to tell over and over and over again. What's going to happen when we start doing this is we're going to recognize that that Sunday morning isn't, isn't the only connection point for a person to come and experience an encounter with God during the week but that we have hundreds and thousands of connection points each and every day for people to come and encounter Jesus. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. I believe once we start doing that, it's then that we're going to experience his kingdom coming. 
and his will being done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much. Lord, I, I thank you for some conviction that I'm feeling, and, and hopefully some others are feeling along with me. I know if we feel convicted, then some good can come of it, Lord, and we can begin to move forward. And I thank you that we don't have to move alone. We can move together, and ultimately we're moving with you. Lord, I'm thankful that, that you say you want to invite us into this process. You've already done the work. You say the harvest is plentiful. You're just looking for some, for some workers to help, help reap the harvest, and that's exciting. We get to engage in the fun of it all. I know it's costly, Lord, but there's nothing worth more than that. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.